0: One Sabbath he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him How he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that your word is living and active like a two edged sword. And it, in many ways, cuts both ways. And so we ask that it would do its work amongst us this morning, uh, that we would be instructed, that we would learn more of grace and what Jesus has done for us, and what Jesus calls us to do, and separated from what others might call us to do, as if they were Jesus, but not. So be gracious to us this morning, as we look at your word. In Christ's name, amen. Not too long ago, uh, we got a new stove. It's always an exciting thing. Um, You know, we had already said the last time I fixed it, I said, "That's it. Next time something goes in this stove, we're out. Of, you know, this stove is out of here because it was, of course, uh, the builder's special, cheapy model. And I'd already replaced uh, too many things on this thing, and I decided it was not worth fixing again. And so, sure enough, something died, and we went and got a new stove. I was surprised to discover that this, uh, you know, new stove had a Sabbath." Setting. Yeah, I didn't know I was rolling in dough uh, and getting such an expensive or fancy schmancy kind of uh, stove when I got it. Um, Sabbath setting. So that you could set it to turn on the next day as opposed to you having to turn it on because for Jews, it can't work can't light a fire. Now, let's ignore the fact that lighting a fire uh, by turning on your stove is a whole lot easier than lighting a fire in the days of Moses and Jesus. It took a whole lot more work, actual work, uh, to pull it off back then. Now it's just the flick of a switch. But really, it points to the fact that people tend to make a real mess of the Sabbath. Uh, what was intended to be for our good, as we're going to see, has really turned into something that seems, in many ways, oppressive and strange. Confusing. Laden with all kinds of laws uh, that might not make sense to you or anyone else, and for which people have created a ton of loopholes. We'll get into all of that. The main question uh, that sort of prompts uh, this sermon today is, is found in the text, and it is, look, the question of the Pharisees to Jesus, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And most of what happens in this text is really an answer to that particular question. So, first part of this, is kind of a supplementary questions to the question of the Pharisees in terms of just getting the lay of the land. One, what were they doing? And two, was it really unlawful? And so in verses 23 through 26, we kind of explore that idea. This section, this larger section that we find ourselves in, in Mark's gospel here, is highly thematic It doesn't seem to be chronological. It's not necessarily in order of events. But really, Mark uh, seems to be focusing on conflict with the Pharisees while they're in Capernaum. And this is just the latest in the series. Jesus and his disciples uh, are, are on the Sabbath, walking through a grain field. Okay, So it's the seventh day. They've presumably been at a synagogue somewhere. Jesus possibly has been teaching, fulfilling his uh, calling. uh, And they're now traveling perhaps from one city or one town to another town and walking through a grain field. And it's there that Mark tells us that his disciples, okay, his disciples, not Jesus, but his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. So they're hungry. They're walking through the field. Uh, They pull some grain off of uh, some of the stalks, and they begin to eat this. It reminds me a little bit of uh, one of the times we see Merry and Pippin early in the Lord of the Rings as they're running through the fields uh, with some of the stuff that they've hoisted off of the farmer. Okay. Now, for... uh, The law in terms of Deuteronomy 23, we see that in verse 25 if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So if you're like Mary and Pippin and end up in the, you know, in your neighbor's field, you can grab something to eat and take it with you, but you're not supposed to take implements, tools of harvesting, and to go and clean out your neighbor's field. One is permissible because you're hungry. The other one is not permissible because it's theft. But there was an allowance that was made for your you happen to being in a place and needing to eat and taking a little bit to eat as opposed to chopping down whole rows. There's a difference between Plucking some heads of grain and taking out the sickle and uh, taking down whole plants. Very different. But we see that while on every day of the week, okay, what they're doing is lawful, is it lawful on the Sabbath? which was uh, the question that Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, Uh, we see that Exodus 34, six days you shall work, but the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. And so we have this interesting uh, clarification of the law of the Sabbath in Exodus 34, prohibiting, Okay, because boy, that stuff needs to get in. And you weren't supposed to continue the harvest on the Sabbath. But they're not reaping. Reaping was one of the 39 tasks that were declared to be work on the Sabbath and therefore prohibited in the Mishnah. But it, are, they, are they reaping? And the question, seems, the answer seems to be from Deuteronomy 23. They're not reaping, they're plucking. And that is a significant distinction in this particular case but what we see is the the pharisees are in this case ignoring a good distinction and result and therefore per, producing rather silly rules as though things were um, yeah, not prohibited or sorry rather were prohibited that should be permitted on the sabbath in one, book, one of the books I read this week, someone notes that they knew someone who went to a meeting with a rabbi, and they were talking about the Sabbath in that particular meeting, and the question was asked about the dishwasher. Another modern appliance. You might think, that's not really work. The loading of a dishwasher. Well, it depends how you load the dishwasher in this rabbi's perspective. If you were like me and tried to systematically place things in wise places so it's easier to unload, uh, then you are working. But if you're mindlessly just tossing things into the dishwasher, you're not working. To us, it seems a very strange distinction to make. So it's okay as long as I don't think about it. Think of the Sabbath day journey, which is not found in Scripture, but is something that was practiced by the Jews of Jesus' day. And one of the things that makes me kind of scratch my head a little bit, because these guys, the, the disciples in Jesus, are in the field. Surely they've gone farther than a Sabbath day journey of two-thirds of a mile from, from the city gate. You weren't supposed to travel more than that. You could travel as much as you wanted within the, the town you lived in, uh, but you couldn't travel more than two-thirds of a mile outside of it unless you happened to be caught out between cities and needed to get someplace for shelter. Then it was permitted for you to travel farther. And so then came the, the great way of getting the loophole to get around that, leaving bits of food, You know, have, having someone you, you want to travel on the Sabbath day, well, you know someone who's going there, you know, the day before, they're leaving bits of food or articles of yours along the way so that you can say, well, this is an extension of my house. I'm not, I haven't traveled far enough to violate the Sabbath day journey. And so you see, for the disciples of Jesus and the people around them, uh, there were all of these strange, confusing laws, and then all of these weird loopholes that somehow got them by. But let's not think it ended, <laughs> it continued into Christianity, just as we saw strange things happening with fasting in, in early Christianity. Uh, Bishop uh, Tostatus said that um, it was okay if you dressed meat, but it was impermissible to clean dishes. So you could, you could gut the animal and dress it, okay? because you don't want the animal to go bad. I'm not sure why you're hunting it on this, the Lord's Day, uh, but that's a different question. Uh, so you could dress the animal, but you couldn't clean up after yourself afterwards. I've seen I've, I've heard of churches where if you're on the staff of that church you can't buy gas on the Lord's day. You have, you have to take a little oath that you're not going to buy gas on the Lord's day because so I, I'm not really sure why aside from uh, making purchases on the Lord's day uh, but if you need gas you sort of need gas. Uh, this week I thanked the Reformed Pub for giving me all kinds of sermon illustrations because they were talking about whether or not it's permissible to use public transportation on the Lord's Day. Well, I know that when I lived in Boston, didn't have a car, and aside from walking everywhere, I had to take public transportation. And the church that I would go to on Sundays was not an easy walk for me. It was miles. But these are the questions. Is it okay then to pick someone up and give them a ride? Are you, are you making someone else work? All of these sorts of questions that start to emerge, and it's because I think of a fundamental misunderstanding of what is going on with the Sabbath or the Lord's Day. But here we have the Pharisees. Now, first I'm going, why are the Pharisees in the field? Okay, Mark doesn't say why, but that, it seems kind of strange that, that they've, they've witnessed this. So are they following Jesus? Are they, are they coming back from where he was speaking in a different synagogue and they happen to, uh, to spy what's going on because they're in the field too? Uh, we don't know. But it's one of those things that my brain wants to know. But the Pharisees question Jesus. They want him, I believe, to stop his disciples from disobeying the charges before, uh, start dis, stop disobeying the traditions before they begin to press charges against his disciples. And there is an important thing for us to pick up there, that our actions do reflect upon Jesus. Their actions were reflecting upon Jesus, and so they went to Jesus to try and straighten these things out, which is as we've said, an improvement over the early days where they weren't even talking to Jesus about these things. So at least they're going to Jesus. And if our actions are sinful and we are exposed, so to speak, and seen by others, we must repent of our public sin. But if we're not sinning and they have a misunderstanding of Christianity, then that is a great opportunity to instruct them, which is exactly what Jesus does here he begins to instruct the Pharisees who are trying to correct Jesus. Have you never read what David did? They're the experts. They're supposed to have read it. They're supposed to be familiar with the fact uh, that David was on the run from King Saul and that David had no food and he stopped where the tabernacle was. And uh, David didn't quite tell the truth because he said he was on the king's business instead of running from the king. But nonetheless, uh, he asked for the showbread and got the showbread. Now, the showbread was the 12 loaves that were in the tabernacle, one loaf for each of the 12 tribes to represent the 12 tribes as being within the presence of God, that they would be sustained by God. So this bread was reserved for the priests. When it was swapped out for fresh bread, the priests and their families could eat the bread, but no one else was permitted to eat the bread. we see that David and his men were given this bread. They ate the bread that was reserved for the priests, uh, that was prohibited for, for everyone else to eat. Jesus is kind of saying, this has happened before. It happened with David. It happened with his companions. And now it's happening with me the greater David, and my companions, not simply warriors, but my disciples. We have a need, and it is permissible for us to meet that need. In other words, this need is greater than the, the idea of, of the ritual obedience to the law their need and the limited options that presented themselves superseded the law which is intended to bless and protect us. You see, the law which is summarized in love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself should not be used to keep people hungry and oppressed because it is the law of love. And love would want your neighbor to eat, to be satisfied, not prevented on a mere technicality seems to be what Jesus is getting at within this when he brings this up. Now, there's one thing that's a little puzzling that I don't know how many of you caught this, but nonetheless, uh, I'm going to bring it up. It says in Mark, in the days of Abiathar, uh, but it says in 1 Samuel that uh, Atimelech was the high priest at that point in time. And some of you who caught that may have scratched your head, maybe metaphorically, not physically. Okay? Most, we see that phrase in the days of someone uh, uh, again in the scriptures, and it probably refers to um, the fact that they had scrolls, they didn't have chapter and verse like we do. You know, Jesus wouldn't say, Now, you've read in 1 Samuel 29 he would address the scroll that they would look to. And this would be the scroll of Abimelech, the high priest. That's what it would be known as. So that's most likely what's going on here. And Abimelech was the son of uh, Ahibelech, who was about to be killed by Saul's forces because he fed David. Okay, so there's that little rabbit trail for you. Okay. But what I want us to to reckon with is the fact that the needs of Messiah and his companions are greater than blindly following rules. That's Jesus' point in bringing up this story, which was Scripture. So now another question emerges, so if that's true, why does the Sabbath exist? Now we get to a more fundamental and deeper question. And we see the Sabbath begins in Genesis chapter 2. On the seventh day, God said, I'm resting. Meaning, he's done with the work of creation. He's not done with the works of providence, but he's done with the work of creation. And he's resting and setting an example for us, people who are made in his image, so that on the seventh day, we begin to rest. It is a creation ordinance We see it reflected in Exodus 20 as well as Deuteronomy 5 as part of the moral law, the Ten Commandments. This resting one day in seven is rooted in creation, but also in Deuteronomy 5, it's rooted in redemption. And so the point is uh, that there is to be a time of rest and a time of worship, a ceasing from your normal activities so that you trust in God to provide, and you worship Him as the provider. You worship Him as the creator. You worship Him as the redeemer. The Sabbath was instituted on the seventh day. Adam was created on the sixth day. We're not sure when Eve was created. some people there's disagreement as to whether it was the sixth day or it was another day later on. we're not sure it's not clear uh, how long it took uh, Adam to name all of the animals, but that's not the pertinent thing at this point. The Sabbath came after the man. The implication is spelled out for Jesus by Jesus right here. The Sabbath was made for man not man for the Sabbath. It exists for our good, for our blessing. We were not made for its good, its blessing. We're not slaves to the Sabbath, but the Sabbath is, in a sense, a slave for us. Now we get back to that idea of the moral law. There is the commandment in in Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5 that we are intended to keep this one in five, uh, sorry, one in seven principle. Okay? Six days you work, one day, the seventh day, you rest. But we also see the function of the civil law within the life of Israel, which further explains that in some ways, and also gives penalties for breaking it. And then on top of that, you have the tradition of the elders, which went beyond the scriptures to, to things like the, the Sabbath day journey and uh, what the writings that we find in the Mishnah. Okay? And so Calvin, in trying to process all of this, indicates that the one in seven principle continues, but the shadows of the Mosaic law have passed away. They've been fulfilled by the coming of Jesus. And so while we honor the principle, we have a Lord's Day. We honor the principle of rest in worship, we don't honor it in the same way that the Jews did. We're not as uh, fastidious, shall we say, about how we do it. The early church, for instance, worshipped on the first day, not the seventh day. We see this in Acts 20, 1 Corinthians 16. It's now what we call the Lord's Day. Our focus is to be on, as, it, as the, the primary idea of the, of the Sabbath, is to be rest and worship. So we call the Sabbath a delight. Instead of fighting with God. I don't need to worship. Don't be like one of those kids who refuses to take a nap in the afternoon. No, Mom, I don't need a nap. Say, yes, God you're right, I need to rest. Yes, God, you're right. I need to worship because I've, I've lost, I lose my way over the course of the week. And I, I need this day to be refocused and recalibrated, made new again. God has given us six days to take care of our worldly affairs, but it requires faith to stop working. And rest on a seventh. Because to stop means you're saying, I have to trust God uh, that I'll still be able to eat on the seventh day. That I'll, I'll have the money to pay my rent. Or my medical bills. Or whatever bills I have. Even though I'm not working seven days a week. It requires faith to stop working because we trust Him to provide for our efforts as opposed to thinking we have to make it all ourselves. And so as you think about the Lord's Day, I want you to think of things that are restful for you and for your family. I don't want you to think about all the things you can't do. I would rather you begin to think about what should we do uh, that is restful. Because that is a command. What's restful? Perhaps you celebrate your salvation and you go to lunch. You give your wife a break and don't require her to fix that meal. And either go out for lunch or you cook it. Or you eat leftovers. There's a number of ways to, to kind of handle that. But just rest for a while perhaps you enjoy creation and after worship key words there after worship or in Arizona maybe it's before worship but go for a hike go for a bike ride go to a park and play rest take a nap just don't go to work that seems pretty easy As we think about Isaiah 58, in which Isaiah, similar to Amos, is going to critique the way in which the the Jews of their day were breaking the Sabbath. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, uh, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, uh, then you will take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And there's, there are aspects in here that are a little confusing and a little cloudy and vague, and, and some have interpreted it as you can't have any recreation. But I, how I understand these phrases and these things, particularly in light of uh, Amos, is stop thinking about work. You have six days. And that's what they were doing. They, they couldn't wait for the sun to go down so that they could get back to work and begin to earn a living because they weren't trusting God to provide for them. And so here they are on the Lord's Day while the rabbi is teaching, for instance, and they're thinking they can't wait Uh, and they're thinking about what they have to do in order to get the store open the next day, or the various things they need to do in order to work in the field the next day. They just can't wait. They couldn't turn it off. And Isaiah is telling them, turn it off. Call this a delight, not a burden. Call it a delight because you get to delight in Him. That God has provided this opportunity for you to delight in God as your creator and redeemer. Don't waste it. Enjoy it. Delight on the Sabbath, particularly because you get to delight in God. And so, when you're not hiking or riding your bike or taking a nap, you could read some theology. You could spend some time in prayer. You, You can... Go beyond the public worship to some private worship. You have been given a day to focus on the realities and implications of the good news of Jesus Christ. Isn't that good? is God kind to you? Because you know how hard it is when you work. I've been there. It's hard to have time for devotions and to pursue him and reading and understanding more about theology or time for extended prayer. Those are difficult to do, especially those of you who work 10-hour days. But God has provided a day because he's kind. A day for our good, not a day for our difficulty. Rest and worship should refresh our bodies and our souls, so that we're able to engage in the busyness of the other six. And now we, now we sort of hit the rub in it. On the one hand, we want you to be refreshed. Okay? We want your weary souls to be refreshed. We also have a responsibility. To disciple you. To help you grow in your knowledge of God's grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ and how that plays out in the midst of your life. And so, you know, as a, as a church, we wrestle with some of that. Some churches have what's almost a mandatory evening service in addition to the, the, the stated public service in the morning. We have community groups and they're out every week. We're trying to find a balance there. And that balance doesn't work for everybody. Okay, But we're trying to be aware that our goal is not to wear you out. We want to refresh you by the gospel. As well as just plain physical rest. We want you to have time to do that. But what happens is that legalism buries the delightful day by making us slaves of the Sabbath with its lengthy lists of what we can and cannot do or must do and cannot do. But we need to remember that Jesus gave us a delightful day to delight in him. And so that's really the answer to that second question. Jesus gave a delightful day to delight in him. Another question. Well, who determines what's lawful on the Sabbath? Because the Pharisees, again, are telling Jesus that his disciples are doing what is not permitted or not lawful on the Sabbath. And so this next statement, which is the last uh, sentence in this, ver- in this paragraph, we're not sure if it was the words of Jesus, meaning Jesus is saying this, or whether it's a parenthetical statement, because in the, you know, the old texts of the Greek they didn't have quote- quotation marks. Okay? But we do know this, the Holy Spirit prompted Mark to make sure that statement, whether it's from the mouth of Jesus on earth, or from the mouth of the exalted Jesus in heaven, who gave us the scriptures, that either way, this is in the Bible. We don't have to worry about whether this is Mark's summary, or whether it should be in red letters, because that is not important. What's important is that it's there, and it is instructive for us. And that thing that is there is that therefore, which is the conclusion summing this whole thing up, the the ESV says so, but therefore, for me, this conveys better, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Now we're getting back to who Jesus is. He is the Son of Man, as we've already seen within this, and the rest of the gospel is going to make more clear. But as the Son of Man, He has, of course, been given all authority, and the Sabbath is not outside of His authority. Jesus is the one for whom and through whom all things were made, as we see in Colossians, and that includes the Sabbath. It's not as if there's this thing called the Sabbath that Jesus has no control over, but because He is God, He instituted the Sabbath. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit rested from the work of creation on the seventh day. The Sabbath was not instituted by the Pharisees. It was not instituted by the rabbis. They don't have ultimate control of it. They're not lords of the Sabbath. They don't get to determine what you can or cannot do on the Sabbath. That is the role of Jesus and Jesus alone. I don't get to decide what you can and cannot do on the Sabbath. That is the role of Jesus and Jesus alone alone. Celebrating the Sabbath affirms Jesus as Creator, who has authority over all things, including time. He has authority over those six days and he has authority over the one day. And he calls you to work on the six days and he calls you to rest on the one day. But more than that, Jesus is our salvation. There is the rest, as we heard about, the, the rest that the Israelites didn't enter into. And in Hebrews, it talks about how there's a rest that remains. And the only way we enter that rest is by believing in Jesus as the one who gains it for us. As the one whose obedience gains rest for us. As the one whose whose death paid the price for our unwillingness to rest. Who paid for the hard-heartedness that we have sometimes when we hear the word of the Lord and resist. And it's His resurrection that gives us new life, new hope, and we're able to rest. Augustine put it this way, combining both these elements of creation and redemption, you have made us for yourself. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We don't know real rest until we're entrusting ourselves to God. Ceasing from our labors, ceasing from our sin, resting in Christ, and worshiping Him, delighting in Him. Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father, and He determines what is lawful as the Lord of the Sabbath. And there's another entity that can't tell you what's right or wrong on the Sabbath, and that's the government government can't undo the Sabbath rest. They can undo its blessing. It's interesting that uh, the USSR in 1929 um, abolished the six-day work week for a seven-day work week, and there was no eighth day. (laughs) Stalin didn't want uh, the factories to go quiet one day a week. He He saw the needs of his people, so to speak, and maybe the greed of his own heart. Who knows? We weren't there. But uh, kept everything open seven days a week, everything functioning seven days a week. In 1931, he realized that this was not having quite the effect that he hoped it would have because production was actually declining because people didn't have a day off. Funny, huh? And so he decided to shift so that there would be a day off, but basically you all would have different days off. It wasn't like everyone got the same day off. And so that you as a family could go to the park and play, and you could go to the church on Sunday morning and worship. No, because we don't want that. And so staggered days off. Finally, in 1940, they decided to just On the whole thing because it didn't work because we weren't made that way. A Lord's Day honors how we're made as well as expresses gratitude for our redemption. And so it's good for us, it's been given to us as a gift. So Jesus, our Creator and Redeemer, has authority over the Sabbath. But to kind of wrap all these things up in in one sort of summary statement, would be that Jesus' followers delight in Jesus on the Lord's day through rest and worship. That's kind of a little bit of a mouthful. But I'm going to say it again, because it's different than what you have in your notes. Jesus' followers delight in Jesus on the Lord's day. So we're we're intended to delight in Him on the Lord's Day, and we do this through rest and worship. Both, not one or the other. Our sinful nature leads us to think that either the Sabbath is unnecessary, or to think uh, that we are slaves to the Sabbath. And neither of these things is true. We need the rest that God provides. We need to worship our Creator and Redeemer. And so the Sabbath was given to us as a gift with these purposes. Delight in Christ through rest and worship. Don't complicate this with a series of rules or expectations that you put on yourself or other human beings. And so the question for you is, do you see the Lord's Day as a day to be endured? Or enjoyed. And the answer that you offer tells you something about how you view Jesus and the gospel. And don't tune that out. It may be a call for you to repent. Let's pray. Father, thank you That while we're made in your image, one of the ways that we're different is that we do not have unlimited strength and power. And so you have uh, given us a day to rest, to be refreshed. but Also a day to remember, to come into worship and to uh, delight in the God who saves his people. The God who is kind and good to his people. So Father, as, as, as we think about the Lord's Day, let's not get Help us not to get wrapped up in what we can or cannot do, but but to delight in you. To make that uh, the focus. To rest and delight. To rest and delight. Because you are good to your people. Help us to believe that. In Jesus' name, amen.